All right, Doug. So the, the goal of this is to get your take on a lot of the things that are happening in the world. I think that the world will benefit from hearing your perspective on these things. So the first major issue I want to talk to you about is just trying to help people have some context, some understanding for what's happening in the world today and how it might all end up. I mean, is there some historical context that you can provide? Is there some, maybe, are there, are there other parallels, I guess, in history that could apply to today to help people understand what's going on, where things might go, and what they can do about it? Yeah, well, it's been said that change is the only constant. And right now, I think we're experiencing one of those major turning points in history that's going to be looked back on. So I, I thought about this a little bit. Um, just with American history, I mean, we could look at the histories of a lot of other countries, and I think we're going to see exactly the same thing, but we're all more familiar with U.S. history. What are the major, major turning points that we've had in the culture and just generally the way things are? You can start out with the American Civil War, now, although I, I uh, hasten to say that it shouldn't be called the Civil War because it wasn't a civil war. It was a war of secession, which is a very different thing. Technically, it was it should be called the war between the states, although some people call it the war of northern aggression. Right. I, don't, I don't even want to get into that now, though, because uh, that's a whole other can of worms, and people are absolutely shocked and affronted when you say such a thing. They didn't want to hear the explanations. Let's forget about right. that. Okay, so the United States before the uh, war between the states and after, totally different country. Bef before the war, civilization basically ended at the Mississippi River, but uh, it was only four years after the end of the war that uh, the Golden Spike was driven and uh, there was uh, continuous rail all the way to California. And at the end of, at the, end of the war, in which 700,000 uh, soldiers died. People that were mustered out of the army were at loose ends. Southerners found their, their society had been destroyed. Things were different everywhere and people piled into the West. So you had this period after the Civil War where everything was different than before the Civil War. Um, and that went on for about um, eh, 30 years or so. Uh, when, after, after which all the Indians were um, basically subjugated, put on reservations, killed, whatever happened to them. The West was broken up into small farms. You know, California became uh, another state. Uh, in fact, by the end of the 19th century, we basically had almost all. Uh, or all of the lower far east. So that was another period, the Wild West period. Mm -hmm. We always go out there and uh, expand to the West. It was different. Uh, again, uh, then what was the next big turning point? Uh, after the end of the Western frontier? Well, I'd say it was probably, I would say it's probably the year 1913. Uh, when uh, the whole course of civilization changed again. Uh, I'm not just talking about the initiation of the income tax and the creation of the Federal Reserve in the US, uh, but um, 
those two things set the stage for World War I. And uh, same thing happened after World War I on a global scale that happened in the US uh, after the unpleasantness of 1861 to 1865, where uh, people were starting to move around the world. They'd gotten used to thinking internationally because so many uh, Americans had been to, had been to, uh, had been to Europe. And once again, things changed. The whole ambiance changed, the music, uh, artwork, everything changed again. And the next thing that happened was World War II. Uh, and at the end of the war, there was another huge change where 12 million people that were in uniform mustered out. And uh, at that point, uh, the depression, which started 1929 to 1946, there's a period of recovery after that. So there have been a lot of turning points is the point I'm trying to make mm. in American history where before and after was like night and day. I mean, the civilization, the culture changed. Now, World War II, major. End of World War II, new era. So what was the big thing that happened after, after the uh, end of World War II? I think the next big thing was the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Everybody remembers where they were on November 22nd, 1963, if they were alive then. Um, but bigger than that is that um, it was something in the air, it was in the water, it was everywhere, the, the 50s and what they represented. The era of leave it to beaver and father knows best and um, that type of thing came to an end and we were into the 60s. Overnight, sex, drugs, rock and roll, riots, the Vietnam War, um, it all changed again. And that stuck together, uh, you know, hippies, yippies, uh, that, that all stuck together. Uh, the next major change, I think was 911. Uh, and now we're going into another change, and this is really a serious one. Uh, some of the different, some of the things you were talking about with the the other ones, you think about like, you know, after the Civil War, and you have this huge population of what were soldiers now that there really was no there was no place for them, and so the frontier made this, you know, uh, you, they could go out into the frontier and try and make something with their lives, but they, they didn't have any. You know, the resources were destroyed in the South, and there weren't really there weren't this uh, jobs for these people who are all of a sudden going from being soldiers into, you know, civilian workforce. And uh, you, you know, you had that, the land, I guess, those resources for, for, for them to exploit and exploit potentially positively, you know, to um, economically uh, create some good things out of it. You know, and after World War II, you have that same thing where you have that huge workforce, you know, that now is coming back in. And um, ultimately that could lead to really positive, you know, economic consequences. Is there, we don't have the in this situation. This is uh, this is seems like more like a a nine eleven or maybe like a Kennedy assassination where there there are turning points and maybe in the zeitgeist, but they don't have those mass movement kind of things to uh, to them. You know, you don't have this millions of people coming out of the military and now looking for work. In fact, no one's looking for work anymore. Uh, no one thinks that they need to work anymore or something. So, what's you the? Know, is, that, go ahead. That's actually that's actually a um, you bring up 
work. It's that um, with modern monetary theory, uh, so far the government's been able to create trillions of dollars from out of nowhere and pass them out, giving everybody uh, $600 a week and a one-time gift of 12. I, I don't even know what all these different things are. There's so many on top of um, unemployment benefits. So there's uh, apparently uh, millions of people were making considerably more uh, not working uh, than they were working. And this is going to lead to this meme of a guaranteed annual income. I mean, that's gonna, that's gonna, they're gonna do that, I think. Just I like think so modern too. monetary theory. It's uh, two ridiculous ideas that, uh, that this lockdown is facilitating, is making real. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, I think once you pay people not to work, it's very difficult um, to, to get them to come back to work. And one of the things that I've seen, uh, and this is kind of goes down a separate topic, but with uh, you see in these public institutions, especially where the workers have had time off, like uh, um, teachers, for instance, the deep reluctance to come back to work, and they're using health reasons for it and, and things like that. But there's a deep, deep reluctance on their part to come back to work. And meanwhile, the kids are just kind of left to fend for themselves. And um, and then I, you know, I read in the Wall Street Journal last week about huge uh, difficulty in picking up trash in Philadelphia, like the, they weren't, the, you know, the trash collectors just felt like it was too dangerous for them to go to work. Of course, they're city employees and they weren't, you know, so they just, the, t- the trash was piling up and, um, you know, so neighbors were taking it upon themselves, of course, to, as people tend to do when there's a vacuum, they step in and start collecting it among themselves, you know, and then, and then moving it to the, uh, to the dump themselves. But yeah, I think once they, once you pay them to not work, it's really hard to change those expectations? Well, in many cases, uh, it may be a good thing, or it could be a good thing, it should be a good thing, that the teachers are not working because the schools, started with the colleges, moved on to the high schools, but now grade schools have become centers of indoctrination. So even though the kids may not be learning anything now, at least they're not being uh, actively corrupted but uh, as, as, as to what you said, yeah. Uh, and this is, is a lot of areas, like the police. If I was a cop, and believe it or not, I took the test uh, to become a DC cop. Uh, Hard to imagine, Doug. Hard to imagine. <laughs> after I got out of college. Uh, it was a different era then. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, at that time, the DC police department uh, gave you an extra 50 bucks a month if you became a motorcycle cop. And I was thinking, yeah, I could use an extra 50 bucks a month. And you like and motorcycles. And I like motorcycles. But uh, this shows you how the meaning of money and uh, the ambiance and all this type of thing in the country, the, the zeitgeist has changed so much. But if I was a cop now, well, first of all, I wouldn't dream of being a cop. Uh, for lots of reasons, not just because I'm older now, but even if I was the same age, 23, 24, whatever I was at the time, uh, I wouldn't dream of being a cop today. Uh, but uh, anybody that is a cop has got to be questioning their life choice. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, wonder, uh, yeah. I, 
I wonder what police shows are going to be doing. Uh, right. Well, a lot of them have been canceled. I don't know if you know that, but there was uh, some 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 cop like it wasn't the show Cops, but it was a newer, very very popular version of the, of the, the show Cops. Um, you know, where they have the reality TV thing where they're following police around as they're arresting people, and um, you know, got they, they shut it off. Exactly, they shut it off. Is uh, you know that 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 the basic uh, idea of a cop being good and robber being bad is I don't know that that question is up in the air these days. So, but what do you think about what do you think? So 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 back to the idea of like understanding what's happening now from your historical examples. Basically, those are all examples where the world fundamentally changes. If you were a person operating during these different time periods, you fell asleep in one era and woke up in the next. What are some of the obvious differences that one would experience and how do those maybe relate to now? Well, let's just take the, uh, the changes that happened uh, with uh, the Kennedy assassination that set off the 60s. I mean, the 60s didn't start on uh, uh, January 1st, 1960, or 1961, technically speaking, but we would say 1960, it all started changing with the Kennedy assassination. There's so many things. The way people dressed to start with, uh, mm -hmm. before that, it was definitely a coat and tie era. Now, of course, uh, it's considered acceptable to go to work in a t-shirt. Yeah, or, or anything. So the way people present themselves, that changed tremendously. Uh, well, even the cuisine changed. It was impossible in the 50s, or very hard, to get anything that looked like foreign food. Maybe there was a local Chinese restaurant, maybe, that served Cantonese food, and very simple Cantonese food. Now, of course, you can get cuisines from all over the world. So the way people dressed, the way people uh, ate, the way people talked, for instance. Uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting that uh, starting with the uh, 70s, certainly by the time the 80s, is absolutely any word, uh, curse words, swear words, all kind of vulgarities, uh, they weren't part of the common language back in those days. Now they are, and they're fully accepted. The way people talked has changed too. Everything changed with the 60s. And I suspect, I don't know how it's gonna change with what's coming up, but a lot of it's gonna depend on who wins this election in November. That's, this is gonna be the most important election uh, in American history with the possible exception of uh, Lincoln's election in 1860, which set off the war between the states, um, which incidentally was not about slavery, uh, it was about other things. People don't believe that or have never thought about it, but this will be the most important election since then, most important election. What, what, is the, what are the, if you boil down the, the, the differences, the, the paths that could be taken fork in the road, I guess, at this, based upon this election, what would it be? Like, what are the, what's the core thing that you think would be fundamentally change if one were elected versus the other? Well, okay, if the Democrats win, and I think that's the way it's going to come down, I could, we could have another conversation uh, about 
the reasons I think the Democrats are going to win. And I say, I say that as somebody who handicapped Trump to win in 2016 and made a public money bet and, uh, and won that bet. I thought that Trump would win. This time, uh, I'm not so sure. In fact, I think that uh, the Democrats are, are going to win for, for six separate reasons that I've thought about and I can let's, let's talk about Let's talk about those tomorrow because I think this will be worth definitely getting into. I, I'm very curious to hear this. But, I'm, but right for now, can you tell me what, what do you think would change? Like if, if the Democrats elected, what in the zeitgeist maybe changes or what? Well, look, a lot of us watched the uh, Democratic debates where they had these 20 people that wanted to be uh, the Democratic candidate and every one of them, there were no exceptions, were, uh, were statists, collectivists, uh, some uh, active Marxists, socialists, uh, scratch, you know, you just scratch them under the surface. And they're actually communists. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, I watched these people. I said, this is amazing. Every single candidate. Uh, it seemed to me that they were uh, clinically insane, some of these people, but this is the whole party uh, is thinking this way. I like the, uh, one of the things that stands out to me is giving universal health care to illegal uh, immigrants. Yeah, exactly. I mean, anything's possible right now. Right. And with the government running multi-trillion dollar deficits, financed entirely by printed money. These people have no understanding of economics at all, at all. And uh, they'll make it happen. If they win, that's what's going to happen. And if they win, the Democratic Party is going to cement itself in office for, uh, for decades to come. Why am I so sure of that? Well, among other reasons, uh, it's on their agenda to make Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. Uh, states. states. So they'd be solid Democrat bastions, and they've got four more senators. Mm. Uh, and, and they'll do this in every way possible. So if, if the Democrats win this time, we'll have a Democratic president for, for decades to come with all of these socialist values. In fact, I wouldn't doubt that they will um, they'll call for a uh, constitutional convention to change. I mean, the Constitution itself is a dead letter today, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you can mouth the words, but in reality, the, the only part of the Constitution that's important, of course, is the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights, is, it's all been washed away. Uh, but uh, they might change the Constitution itself with the Constitutional Convention, not just another amendment. Uh, now, you might think, talking this way, that I support the Republicans. But how can you possibly report, support the Republicans? Because at least the Democrats have ideas. They're all bad ideas. They're disastrous ideas, even criminal ideas. But they have ideas. Uh, they have an ideology. It's a, a secular religion that people can yes. believe in. Yes. Uh, and people like that, especially when times are turbulent. And they're going to be extremely tur turbulent. Uh, and, and the old-time religion, Christianity, is 
it's gone by the wayside. So they, they need a new religion. And uh, socialism's always been Mar Marxism. It's, it's a secular religion. So that's what the Democrats have. What do the Republicans have? They don't have anything. They don't have any beliefs. All they say is, yeah, you're right uh, to the Democrats. Uh, yeah, I agree with all these things, but you're moving way too far, way too fast. And uh, that doesn't get anybody excited. So the Democrats can run a, a, a senile, mildly demented old guy like Biden and a, a, a rabid uh, ideologue like Kamala. I mean, if she was blonde, I'd say she could be Ilsa, she-wolf of the SS. And they can run these horrible people, and it doesn't matter because people, people are voting against uh, Trump. Bad right. man, so, orange man bad, you know. Orange so, man bad, yeah. And I think, so, is it, so basically what you're saying is that even though the, the, the Democrat ideas are awful ideas, they do at least paint a vision for the future. That, exactly. And, and whereas the Republicans basically are looking to the past, you know, this idea of like, uh, um, keep things the way that they are. Let's, or let's, uh, you know, focus on a little bit of nostalgia. I think the whole MAGA thing is obviously looking back in some nostalgia, but it's not rooted in any philosophical underpinnings or any real vision for the future. It's just like, you know, let's focus on our greatness, you know, or like, let's just, let's uh, pump ourselves up and let's slow the roll on the uh, progressive movements. And that's about it. You're, you're quite correct. And Trump himself, I mean, uh, he, charming enough guy, I guess, if you like his style, but uh, he has absolutely no philosophical core, mm. uh, no basic beliefs of any type. He's a, He's an opportunist, uh, and the commonsensically good things he does are a result of his being a business guy. But just being a business guy doesn't mean you have any understanding of economics. It means you have some understanding of negotiation. But, uh, you know, the Germans and the Russians before World War II, they both were great at negotiating, but this is the problem. We've got, uh, anyway. So what's, what's an individual to do? So you talk about these huge periods of great transition uh, from the historical context with the Civil War, you know, with the, uh, after 1913, World War II, Kennedy assassination, 9-11. And what is, what's an individual in these great transitions supposed to do? Like, how do they, uh, you know, some people see, well, it's super important to vote. And you even mentioned this election is really important. And yet I know voting is not something that you're, a big uh, proponent of, um, but, but like, so aside from that, which you definitely could argue is useless anyway, uh, especially if you live in certain areas, what can an individual do? What, what should an individual be doing to be able to um, come out on the other side of, of where the world will be different and still do well? It's gonna be hard to insulate yourself from these things. You know, there's a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it might be uh, about a guy who saw World War II coming. Uh, and he saw that it would be global in nature. So he figured, where can I go where it won't affect me? So he went to the South Pacific, got himself a plantation with, with cattle and 
various types of crops and on the ocean where you could fish and who's ever going to go there? It seemed like a good place to wait out the war. Well, he picked the most obscure damn place you could think of. Where did he go? He went to the Solomon Islands to Guadalcanal. So the answer to the question is, even then, you could run, but you couldn't really hide. But this time around, there's really no place to hide. Uh, it's going to be scary. And, and that goes for your money, too, uh, taking it with you. Now, this is, this is going to be really, really serious. And I think we're just in the... Uh, the lull before the storm breaks. You know, we're just we're just seeing some, you know, a few winds, a few straws being blown around right now. I mean, uh, it, it hasn't broken upon us yet. Well, let's uh, let's pick up this conversation uh, later this week because I'd definitely love to go into depth about what some of the things, you know, as as the as the storm picks up, essentially how it might affect people. Because I think if you think about if you can think about some of the possibilities of how it might affect people, then there you can find some ways that you can sort of hedge your whether whether your money or your or your or your safety or whatever else there's got to be some things that some people can do uh yeah and we can talk about the reasons why i think biden is going to win as well um as an overture to the rest of this type of thing Great. these are going to be gloomy subjects but uh <laughs> I guess we'll uh, we'll have fun doing it. Well, yes, and you know, the, like the thing is, is you got to be able to look into the dark hole that is in front of you if you want to not fall into it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But what did Nietzsche say? He said, uh, "Don't stare into the abyss because the abyss also stares back at you." Ah. You know, I heard you quote, I, I imagined you quoting Nietzsche a long time ago. And I, and I asked, I remember I tried to look it up to find it, but it was something like this. Now, if you can remember, if it wasn't Nietzsche or who it came from, let me know. But it's like, when you see someone teetering on the edge of a cliff, give them a push. Hmm, yes, I think the exact quote. And of course, it always depends on the translation is that which, about to, that which is about to fall deserves to be pushed. Hmm. <laughs> Needs to might be useful in these times. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's actually shameful, but we're not just talking about problems in the U.S. We're talking about the collapse of Western civilization itself, uh, which I'm, I'm afraid is happening right before our very eyes. And we can certainly talk about that, too. So, um, yeah, All right, well, let's leave it there and let's pick it up tomorrow, Doug. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. This is fun, and we'll, uh, we'll do it tomorrow. Fantastic, Matt.